hello. Welcome to Theologizing Life with Anthony Cottrell and the one and only Matt Tracy, the one and only. And we're here with Dan Bellinger, a good friend of mine. Dan has been, was in youth ministry is where we met. And I won't say too much more because Dan, uh, we'll let you share a little bit of that. But Dan, thank you for joining us. Hey, I'm excited. It's good to be with you guys. Dan, we usually like to give our guests an opportunity to sort of share their story in a nutshell. Um, so sure. could you tell us a little bit about yourself and then um, maybe a little bit about how faith and theology play a part in your, uh, your story? So um, yeah. yeah, who's Dan? Well, um, I'm from Michigan. I grew up as a pastor's kid up there. Um, I happen to live right now in Fort Wayne, Indiana, but I always like to say I'm from, I'm from Michigan. I just live here in Indiana. Um, I grew up, my dad was a Wesleyan pastor. About 13, I felt a call to ministry. And uh, because of my experience as a pastor's kid, I said, I'll never be a pastor. Um, and so throughout my whole, my high school years, I was like, I'm going to be a missionary. I'm going to go to the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, be a whatever. I'll, I'll do that. I, I would, I, I'm not going to be in a, a church. Um, right before my senior year of high school, through a series of events that changed and I uh, felt, felt led to, and I, I kind of came to terms with the fact that, that the, that being a, a pastor was what, what I was, what I was going to do with my life and what a great adventure that would be. Um, so I went to Indiana Wesleyan and then Asbury seminary and uh, uh, studied, studied for ministry, spent 10 years in, uh, in local church ministry, doing mostly family ministry stuff um, in a couple different churches. And um, the last three years, I've been a hospital chaplain here in Fort Wayne, uh, right? I, I started right before the pandemic uh, or before the pandemic wow. began. So I just kind of got my feet wet. And then I, I, I tell people I picked a great year to go into medical the medical world. Um, yeah. So uh, I've, I've been doing that for three years. Uh, so I started at June of 19 to June of 2019. So I guess the faith and theology part of that, of, of what, what, what grounds me is I feel like the, the narrative about God is that God loves us and there's nothing we can do about it. That, uh, um, it was kind of like the core message that I would begin and end school years uh, in youth ministry with was uh, God loves you. And there's nothing you can do to change that. No matter what good you can do, what bad you can do, God will never love you more. and will never love you less. Like you are loved no matter what. And then if you can't believe that, like I love you, like, and I don't care what, uh, what third world, third world jail, I have to go to bail you out to prove that to you. Um, so it's this idea that God loves us and then um, that God limits his work in the world to his people and that um, we, are, we are the vessel which God chooses to love the world through. So how can, I, how can I, as one of God's people, be a conduit for God to love the world? So that's huh. kind of my, the way that I, I see the world and the way that I operate in the world, that, that this, is our, this is my work of getting to be a person that uh, God loves the world through. So, yeah. yeah. Before we jump to the next question, you're uh, a hospital chaplain now, which um, is outside of local church ministry, but it's still ministry, but you're yeah. also a husband and, and a father. Uh, you're a girl dad. Um, I, I have two little girls. Mallory is eight. Emma is five. My wife, Stephanie is uh, an art teacher here in Fort Wayne and is uh she's awesome at the stuff that she does 
is just crazy. And we have, we live with a, uh, a stray dog, um, Frida. So she's crazy. She's upstairs right now. Is she literally a stray dog? That... We adopted her and she was a stray before we adopted her. Yeah. So <laughs> she still thinks she, she still thinks she's free. Got it. Got it. <laughs> Anthony, I can, well, I can at least, uh, I feel like Anthony feels the same way, but, but being a girl dad is, is just the best. So I love every, it. I, it's, uh, um, every day is an emotional warfare. Yeah. Um, and it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're, they're crazy this morning. Uh, they climbed in bed with me and cause they get up before I work second shift. So mm-hmm. I, I work in the evenings. And so I get home at midnight and crawl into bed and they, they, they crawl in with me before 7am and yeah, just them wanting to snuggle. It's like, Oh yeah. The yeah. emotional warfare. I like that. My daughter's too. And she is just, beginning to uh understand that she can emotionally uh you know <laughs> i guess go to war if that's the term that we're using <laughs> yeah she's it's fun it's an event i love two two is great uh three is where it gets a little out of control so yeah, yeah. My, my my daughter just turned three so yeah. go with god on that it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's best it's awesome but yeah it starts to ratchet up about three yeah at least for yeah well i believe it my daughter had a meltdown this morning over uh she had one of those yogurt drinks with the foil on top and my wife stuck a straw into it because she wanted a straw but she poked it through the foil top so it would kind of create a makeshift lid she wanted the foil off so the straw and the yogurt wasn't good enough and then um we used the wrong toothbrush to brush her teeth and then um and then the meltdown was intensified because i sort of disciplined her about her behavior and then that was <laughs> devastating so it, the whole morning was just pretty much devastation after devastation and yeah. emotional meltdown my favorite two-year-old tantrum so far is when i was making cookies with my daughter and she got really 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 upset when i put them in the oven because she thought <laughs> that i was just like throwing them away and i was like no like this is this is the point <laughs> baking cookies as we make them so that we can put them in the oven we're not just playing with dough <laughs> It's anyway, the best. <laughs> yeah, it is the best. So, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what what it looks like to be a hospital chaplain for anyone who's not super familiar with what that job entails? Yeah, um, I always preface when I talk about what I do, my hospital and health system. We're we're kind of oddball chaplains, so yes, so we do we do things a little bit differently, but kind of the the ethos that I, that I work through and that we work through is it's our job to provide emotional and spiritual support for patients, family, staff, anybody that's in the facility is somebody that we're there to provide emotional and spiritual support for. So we, uh, we do that um, not just by doing like the sitting with people and praying with people and, you know, holding people's hands or comforting families after someone uh, passes away, but we actually, we're, we're embedded in our emergency response team. So anytime there's we, we, the, the term activate. So anytime there's a crisis in the hospital, whether it's somebody's heart stops beating, uh, there's um, ambulance comes in with a super sick or hurt person. Um, we, we, we respond to provide relational support so that the clinical staff can provide clinical support. So we're 
um, comforting families in the midst of watching CPR being done on their, on their uh, loved one. We're calling them if they're not there saying, hey, this is the hospital, you know, something's happened. We're getting families uh, um, either to bedside or um, to a, like a quiet room so that a doctor can give them, you know, an update before they go uh, to bedside or after surgery. Um, we help with uh, advanced directives or um, filling out some paperwork. We're notaries so that we can, you know, if people bring, you know, it's just a crisis. We need to get stuff taken care of. And if they can bring legal documents and we're able to get them signed, we do notary work. Um, when people come in unidentified, we're um, finding finding their identity uh, or finding, you know, finding people that can help identify them, doing stuff like that. So we're doing all that, like, relational work on the side of uh, uh, relational spiritual work alongside the clinical staff as they're providing, you know, medical life-saving medical work so that they can focus on their clinical stuff and we can get families and, you know, help, help support the family and the staff in that way. So we're doing a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, people work every day. Yeah, yeah that's, that's cool. Uh, and it kind of it goes way beyond kind of your like what what might be someone's like traditional perception of a, of a chaplain who yeah um, is kind of going door to door and uh just praying with people in their rooms like you seem like you're you're definitely on the front lines when when there's crisis yeah we and we do that we'll uh we'll we haven't as much since the pandemic has started round but there there are times where we'll we'll have a list of people and we'll go see that list of people um, but so one of the things that I've been struck by is, um, like Maslow's high hierarchy of needs where, you know, what, are, what, what do we need? What are we able to handle and process because of the situation we're in? And a lot of people when they're in the hospital are in shock or in crisis and are in a place where they, they can have theological or spiritual conversations. Sometimes the most comforting spiritual thing you can do for a family is to say, here's the next thing to do, or mm-hmm. can I get you a glass of water? Or um, I know exactly where he's at and the doctors are taking care of him. I'm put you in this rooms and then we'll get you to the bedside. Um, and so we often, uh, it's all, it's all spiritual work. It's all caring for people. It's not just the, um, a, a lot of times we'll bring new, new chaplains on and, um, it'll take them a while to, for them to understand, for them to see how we're caring for people when we're helping them with their next step. Right. Like I just got the worst news of my life. I don't know what to do next. Right. Like that often will respond to a death and the family will just be sitting there in shock going, well, what would I do next? I'm like, well, I can help with that. And that's what they need at that moment. They don't need somebody to explain the, the problem of evil in the world they need to know that their loved one's dead they need to know where to go next and so we're able to do that um so even even talking about uh procedure and protocol and help and being and being somebody there that can assist them take that first step um is an incredibly comforting spiritual gift that we can give people so that's how we that's how i look at it and that's how we look at it we get a chance to be there with people you know, I, we do this, this is what we do all day. 
you, you shouldn't be good at the hospital, right? Like you shouldn't, you shouldn't know your way around a hospital. You shouldn't know how to respond to a doctor telling you that your loved one's going to pass. Like that's just not it's what we should be good at. And so having somebody that can help you walk those steps um, is an important thing to have. So, yeah. Which kind of leads into the next question. Like you, you've mentioned a number of times that there's, there's crisis, sometimes the death of a loved one. Yeah. Um, so you're around like quite a, quite a bit of grief and sure. um, sadness. And I would say um, at least from my observing from afar via Facebook, um, it seems like the last couple of years of the pandemic uh, intensified that experience of being around kind of a lot of grief and sadness. Now, you, you wouldn't theologize this with, uh, with patients or with the people you're ministering to, but for you, uh, what has this taught you or uh, how have you processed the grief and suffering and then kind of God's presence in the midst of it all? Like what, what does the theologizing look like for you yeah. as you've been around all this? Yeah, I, I think for me, I, uh, kind of our starting point is to talk about that grief isn't something you get over, right? Like grief is, you. it doesn't matter how far away you are from the loss of somebody that you love. It never gets easier. Um, you may get more used to it. You may be able to, um, you're, you're more comfortable living with it, but you never get over it. So grief is something that we live with, that we that we hold on to, that we, uh, that we learn to live into. It's not something that we get better. It gets better. Like, um, my mother-in-law passed away eight years ago and we still, my wife and I still walk in that grief and it's still impactful. And, and there are days where it's, it's hard. And so for us in the hospital, we talk about when we, when, like that, when we help families that's that's something that i'll i'll talk with them is like grief grief is like standing by the ocean right sometimes the waves are over your head right you got that red flag day where like oh no don't get in the water and the waves are going to wash mm -hmm. you away and some days they're at your ankles and you don't get to control the waves right like and sometimes it's a little thing sometimes it's a big thing um, but we don't get to control the waves they're there but we learn to live with them we learn to understand why they're calm or what will cause them to be bigger and larger. Um, so the last couple of years as, I mean, we've seen an excess in mortality, right? Like more people died last year than ever before. And um, it's not that heart attacks or cancer went away. They were still there, but we've had, you know, just an increase in other things. I mean, the COVID uh, has been a horrible a horrible thing i've i've it's so many people have died through this right like and i'm i'm a witness to the death and um just the tragedy of that like we we spent two years we've spent two years running to from room to room sometimes it felt like just as people were dying of covid um so there's there's definitely been a lot of grief um, I think, especially with that, what the idea of like a shallow faith denying, like, well, God, God will make it, God will make this all better. God will make this go away. And it's, I don't know. I like that. I don't think that's the, the way through, 
um, like the idea that God's like a fairy godmother, it's going to take our suffering away. Like, it's just not, it's, uh, for me, it's, it's forced me to, to find the God who walks with us through our suffering. The God who's looking to bring redemption and restoration in the midst of our suffering. Um, Because I I think, especially with all the, just the horror of the last couple of years, um, it's burned away any like shallow or any way that a shallow faith could exist, right? Like that's, that's just, that just doesn't work anymore. Um, I've seen too much, you know? So, yeah, I, uh, there's, Another question, but I want to probe that a little bit more because sure. I, um, I kind of think to a degree like that shallow kind of like fairy tale faith. Yeah. Um, and, and there's a, there's a tension because, I mean, I think God does bless his people. I believe God sure. does heal. I believe God does um, at times like sort of intervene and, and circumnavigate the normal processes. Um, yeah. We'd call those miracles. But what you said earlier, I think at the beginning um, about like, but it seems for whatever reason that the main vessels that God chooses to work through are, are people. Um, God does do those things, but that's more the exception, not maybe the rule, at least on sure. this side of, uh, on this side of heaven or this side of the redemption story. So yeah, having this faith that like God's going to make it all better, it's it's that ends up being disillusioning and disappointing. So, what does it look like, kind of, for you to 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 see God, or or maybe tease that out a little more, seeing God in the midst of the the God who is with us, you know, Emmanuel, yeah, is with us in the suffering, and how does that give you hope? Like, uh, or or what hope does that provide? And then another question I have. Um, is how do you see God's sovereignty in this? Because I'm, I'm very much not kind of a Calvinistic, uh, just to lay my cards on the table. I don't lean that way. Um, and I found that I feel like at least in the moment, even if you do lean that way, telling a family that like, this is part of God's will and you just don't understand the greater good that could come of this. Like when something that's very clearly the result of death, disease, and decay. I just find that not helpful to attribute that to God's will. Um, So those are kind of two separate questions, but could you speak to the hope of why does it give hope that God's the God who is with us in the midst of it? And then what kind of things would you speak to that kind of theology or faith that says, well, um, it's just all God's will. It's part of his plan. And you just need to accept that and trust that and all this stuff. Yeah, I'll hit that first. Um, I think that that's garbage. That sitting with people and suffering, saying that God is, this is God's plan. This is what God wants. It's like, so what you're saying is God wants to take my six-year-old daughter who just died. Like that was this, that was God's plan. Um, or this pregnancy that we've worked, you know, that we've wanted and longed for, that we've gone through medical testing and we're, um, we're having this baby and then you know, a month before the baby's due, the baby dies and is like, like the, the idea that the, that the suffering that we see is part of God's plan, I feel like is a cheap coping mechanism that we use to try and understand stuff that we don't understand. It, it turns God to like, a, 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 I mean, I, I have stronger language for that, but a jerk, right? Like, 
like re- oh really god took my loved one away um uh i i see it and it's not my job to correct people's theology in the hospital i uh, every now and then if it's appropriate we'll we'll help guide people's we can kind of help guide people but a lot of people hold that firmly and i look at and it's it it's hard it's hard to see and i i've i've been with hundreds of people hundreds of families who've lost their loved ones and it's hard and i think it's hard to lose a loved one and the idea of this is god's plan i feel like is a short a shortcut for with short term benefits but long term it doesn't it it, it just falls apart um to say that god is the cause of our suffering the thing that i've i've kind of come to terms with or i'm coming to terms with is the reality that death is part of the order like death is part of life and yeah. um now it doesn't take mean it's not hard like we shouldn't be like oh this is no big <clears throat> deal it's but um come to terms to be able to ex- to accept that there are people that are going to die death is not the worst thing that can happen um i mean i can say that not being at a bedside of somebody that i love but in a, in a lot of a lot of times um like death is a relief can be a relief to people who are suffering and people who are who are in pain people have been walking through a process um and i think the the idea uh, where where is hope in the midst of this is to talk is to is to see the god who walks with us who's promised that he'd never leave us or forsake us that even in the valley of the shadow of death that i'm with you yeah. um so today i have enough strength because god gives me the strength when i'm alone i'm not alone because the god of the universe is caring for me and walking with me even in this 10 by 10 hospital room that's where i see i see uh it's fascinating. I'm not a fatalist or, or at all, but to watch the way that like the right, so often the right, the right person uh, for as, as chaplains, right? We all come in with our own background and suddenly there's somebody that's like the right, the right person uh, was visited by the right chaplain. So I see God working in the middle of, of all of the suffering that people are walking through. I see I see God um, providing comfort and care in the midst of the chaos. Um, so I find hope in that. I see the hope in that. I see um, the reminders that we're not alone all the time. Yeah, I I struggle with the the idea of you know suffering being part of God's plan uh, as well because like you know one of the tenets of the Christian faith is that death was never part of the plan to begin with sure death entered the world through sin sin was never part of god's plan Um, jesus grieved over death too so Mm -hmm. jesus never you know yeah he he had the power to redeem it and and make something new and beautiful out of it but that didn't negate the fact that it was difficult so i think yeah the hope the hope is also that we have a God who redeems even the most desperate and trying situations. Yep. So not necessarily like this is all going to get better, 
Yes. You know, who knows? It, it, but God will, uh, God has the power to uh, make something new, to renew, to bring life. So, yeah, it forces us to death and suffering forces us to come to grips with shallow, um, with a shallow faith. Mm-hmm. It really does. We're, we're forced to ask ourselves questions of things that we hold lightly. Is this valuable? Is this worthwhile? Um, does this hold up in the midst of, of this problem? Um, it really does ask us some deep questions about ourselves. And some of the shallow faith that we all hold on to, it really does uh, force us to, um, to rethink a lot of things. Matt, you said you have a hard time seeing death as part of like God's plan. And uh, I think some would kind of fire back, well, the cross, Jesus's death was part of God's plan. But I guess I would simply respond that like the cross was only part of God's plan. Um, first of all, it was part of a, the larger plan was resurrection. You know, the cross was never the, the end. And then the other thing I would say is the cross was only part of the plan because death, disease, and decay uh, in, were invaders into God's good creation. And so I just, anything that like smells of death, disease, and decay, like it just, even, even if it had like just a little bit reeks of death, disease, and decay, I do not attribute to the God who is the author of life and who, uh, in whom there is no darkness, right? He is God is light and in him, there is no darkness. Um, so none of those things that scripture would say are in rebellion against God or counter to life, like fundamentally in opposition to life. I just cannot, I cannot buy into a theological system that would just say, well, you just don't understand it is all part of God's will. Um, and you just can't in your human humanity, can't wrap your mind around that. It's like, no, I, no, I think I can wrap my mind around it. And it's just not, God's not the author of it, but but he is the God who can bring life and renewal out of death, which mm-hmm. I, I feel like God's ultimate display of power and sovereignty is, is, you know, his power to bring life from death, which was right. in all, for all intents and purposes was completely a final, like the end of the story for, for humanity uh, and God used that very mechanism to bring life to his people. When death dies, all thing lives, right? Like that, that line and the, the idea that there is one who is still alive. There's one who lives eternally. Um, so we can't say that the law of death is eternally true or universally true because there's one who lives. Um, there's one who lives in, uh, I like the image of a chicken with its head cut off. Like it looks like it's alive as it's bouncing around, but it's not, it's dead. There's no hope um, for that chicken. It doesn't have its head anymore. And because Christ lives, though death still looks strong and rampant and is, you know, all around us, death and suffering, um, because there is one who has conquered death. Death is, is dead. And there's, there's a, a, an irreversible act that has been done upon it. And uh, we wait for the, for the full realization of that, but death has been washed over with, with victory. So the Christ used death to kill death. 
and then rose and lives forever um so that death death is on its way out um and we live in the we live in the not yet but already of that reality good stuff so i guess in in all of this 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 is a heavy conversation you have a, a very heavy line of work that it's it's probably trying for you at times um sure. so are there any you know theological principles we kind of talked about uh, we touched on a couple of them that we we all kind of agree on um but personally any theological principles or, or verses or just biblical truths that you use that you find yourself relying on the most in your line of work yeah i think the uh, i i talked about a little bit but like that we get to be god's hands and feet that that god uh is looking to use all of us um that god limits himself to his people and so when there is death and suffering um god's people should be there um we should be there comforting um we should be there providing support so we should be this is where god's people should be and um, when we find God's people uh, only seeing God in prosperity or um, only looking for, uh, well, where's God? Where's God? There's suffering. Where's God? Well, that's not the picture of God that I have. And so God's people should be um, around those who are suffering. And so for me, it's what am I doing here? Why am I, why would I want to do this? Well, this is where God's people should be. We should be here with the, um, with the sickest of the sick, with the, um, with those who are fighting sickness and illness. Um, like that's where we should be. So I just remind myself that there's a sermon that I heard several years ago talking about about Moses that that God used that God called that God was looking for a body um so he called Moses and then uh Exodus 19 the prelude to the the 10 commandments right like you'll be my priest to the nations you'll be um but you'll be priests right like the idea of priests is priests mediate the divine so when, if you're looking for, if you're looking to understand God, like, look at what his people are doing. Look what God's people are, are doing. Where are God's people? What are they talking about? What are they doing? And so um, what, what does God care for? Who does God care for? God cares for the, um, for the people that are in crisis and are in the hospital, people that are in crisis with their loved ones, sick, injured, or, um, or dying. Um, so for me, it's, it's a hopeful reminder that I'm exactly where God um wants me to be it's been helpful for me uh so about uh six months into the pandemic uh one of my friends uh who i I used to be a pastor for she made the comment to me she's like we don't think it's a coincidence that you went to the hospital the health system became a hospital chaplain like right before the pandemic started that god has put you right where you needed to be and that like because I was really struggling, right? Like to see the stuff that we saw, to see the people, you know, dying, like the, just the volume of death that we saw in that first year. And just the, the struggle that we had with that to all of a sudden go, oh my goodness, like this is, 
this is where God needed. This is where God is needs me and is wants wants me. Um, it's been very helpful. I think it's interesting, um, and I've been thinking about this a little bit late lately because um, because uh, like last month I had quite a few funerals in my church actually, um, yeah. and then I recently had a family member pass and seeing um, like watching, but then also experiencing uh, the power of presence and the little ways that people um, offer to help. Uh, and, and it doesn't just have to do with, with death either. There's, there's, there are other instances sure. like, um, like helping a family move uh, is things I've seen the church do, but yep. I think sometimes in the church we have uh, sort of almost like relegated God's work to the supernatural, to those things mm -hmm. that transcend the natural order of things, um, which God does. And, and I believe there is, you know, the spirit's power does work, uh, you know, through acts, there's all these works of signs and wonders. Um, and God does that, but there's also, actually now I'm talking about acts. There's this little story about, uh, is it Dorcas? This woman who was incredibly hospitable and like made tunics for people and did just these yeah. like really small acts of love. She died. And I think, um, I think Peter or, or Paul, like it's been a while since I read it, uh, the particular story, but they, they raised her to life. But before that, people are just like talking about all the good work she did. There's this woman whose name is in um, our scriptures. Uh, and it's there because of the small sort of acts of kindness and the way she contributed yeah. her gifts yeah. to the community. And that is how God, like, I feel like we, well, I guess what I'm saying is we, we should talk more about how God works in and through um, his people. Uh, yeah. Or at least talk about that as much as we talk about or long for or expect signs and wonders, um, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, and in the uh, the first century Jewish world, they believe that the mitzvot, the good works that we do, are actually the way that God is putting the world back together. So mm -hmm. all of the conversation in the New Testament about um, about works and about good deeds, um, that when you see that pop up, they're all they're all talked about with the context of that. These are the the good deeds that we do, the good works that we do, that are the are the ways that God is working through us to restore the cosmos to restore creation um that like there's there's power to that right and, and we end up getting stuck on the you know 1500 years later conversation about do our good deeds save us like are they yeah. salvific in nature we, we we know we're you know i spent i spent uh, I'm, I'm ordained in the lutheran uh, groups now um, and we spend a lot of times in the Lutheran circles. Uh, well, we don't, you know, we don't, good deeds are not good deeds. You know, they're not, it's the cross. It's only Jesus that saves. It's not our good deeds, but it's like, yeah, but we're saved to do good deeds, right? Like what's the, God is, God is wanting to use us. The ministry that we have, the, the ministry of our lives is the way that God is looking to, to work in the world. And we can never get away from that. So it's, it, it's the, it's the, what does Jesus say in Matthew 25, right? Like 
it's the glass of water, it's the visiting the prisoners, it's the caring. When you do those things, you're doing them for me. And um, I think we need to ground ourselves in that reality of yeah. we, we have an opportunity to love people and care for people every day. Not everybody works in a hospital, but we all have neighbors and we all you know, are involved in daily lives. We're all, we're all interacting with people and we all see it and we have the choice of, am I going to, well, we, we actually have the choice to see it or not. Yeah. Uh, Cause we can, we can be very tunnel focused in the way that we view the world and only see the things that are in front of us, as opposed to looking around us and say, where can God use me today? Or how can I have open eyes to see the needs or the struggles of the people around me? And how can I have the strength and the courage and the resolve to actually do something about it? Yeah. And I, I think, yeah, I agree with you. Like the, you know, do our good works save us? I think that's the wrong question. Right. Exactly. That's not the question we should be asking, you know? Right. I mean, me and Anthony have talked about this quite a bit that, you know, the calling of Jesus for his people is to be, you know, agents of restoration, you know, kingdom, kingdom citizens living in the here and now living out kingdom principles um, living out the new heavens and the earth here on earth uh, right. uh, in the midst of sin and suffering, you know, despite yeah. sin and suffering. Um, so like God, yeah, God didn't, uh, our good works don't save us. We are saved to do good works. Like, like you said, you know, I, I think of Israel, like God didn't pluck them out of Egypt just for the sake of, you know, plucking them out of Egypt. He plucked them out of Egypt, saved them so that he could change the world through them. Like he had a plan, right. a purpose for them to do good things in his name. Uh, the salvation wasn't just for salvation's sake. And I, I think that still applies to us. 100%. Yeah. And I want to point out that whole, like, do good deeds save us conversation. And you saying it's the wrong question. Um, part of why it's the wrong question is it's very individualistically focused. It, it's completely focused on, on indiv- it's an individualistic mindset. Um, but the kingdom calls us to have a, a community mindset and the way of self-giving love calls us to have an others oriented mindset. And so an others oriented mindset, um, there's not a dilemma or tension between the salvific nature of good deeds An others oriented mindset is uh, how can I love yeah. others? How, and, and I love that, like, how can we participate in the healing of the world? Um, and scripture would indicate some people, well, this world like is going to pass and there's scriptures about, you know, this age and that would be a whole other podcast. But at, uh, at the same time, so even if I give that to you, like, okay, we're participating in the healing of the world, but this world and all this stuff is going to pass away. There seems to be some sort of indication that the ways we participate in the healing of the world actually have some sort of eternal trajectory um, that they, they actually last into eternity. So um again like yeah. there would be a whole other you know podcast about sure. the end of the age and all all kinds of weeds we could get into but yeah i would say i love that mitzvah idea um kind of while we're on that that note we've talked about like the ways you encounter sadness um mm-hmm. and and trauma even and uh grief um have have you seen kind of the other side though do you also see stories of hope and joy um and and what are those like in the work you do? Yeah, I, I do see, we do see those moments, but I think it's a refra- it's, it's in a reframed understanding of hope and joy, right? Like I think in, 
and for a lot of people right like hope is my loved one being saved like you know literally like their heart being brought back to beating or it's hope has found this illness this cancer diagnosis i'm being treated and um getting to go home um i think which which is is linked again to this like god of prosperity this god this this fairy godmother god right who makes everything all better i think a lot of times the stories of of hope and joy are when you see uh families get to be with their loved ones um in their last moments and they're together um and they get to say goodbye to to grandpa together um it's they get to, they're, they're we're, we're together in the, in these in these in the hardest moments into the uh the camaraderie that happens together where we're here we get to we're sad together but we got to um say goodbye together and we get to remember the the times together and it's this <clears throat> i always i talk about at funerals how like the the calling hour or the day before where it's visitation where people come like the happiest saddest day of of the whole thing right because you've got everybody that's everybody that that's a part of your life coming together um getting to share stories and to remember and people aren't focused in those times on the on the bad times right but on the good times and um same thing a lot of times happens in the hospital right you've got somebody that's that's sick and dying or they, they maybe get moved into an inpatient hospice role or they're moved to comfort measures or um they're they're sick in the hospital and you'll have family come together and they'll be talking about things or they'll learn stories about hey what you got to do that dad let you do that what in the world he never let me do that um and, and they're you're together um so i think it's the reframing of what does joy and hope look for um because in, when we when when death is the boogeyman as opposed to death is a part of our existence that we all walk through um we can find ways to uh, a better way like we can be we can look for um i'll say this a lot of times to people um there's a better way to pass there's better and worse ways to die right like there's the alone you know car accident alone suffering pain right that's worse than there's better surrounded by family and, and loved ones right where we're all getting to say t- goodbye together and um, uh, being surrounded by the people that you love and care about the most, all getting to say goodbye at the same time. Like that's, that's objectively a better experience for people. It's always hard, right? But like we can, we can look at it and go, there's better and worse ways for this to happen. And so we do get to see people who, um, I was recently at a death where the family patient came in and was super sick and all the family got there and they were all like, he's been, he's been suffering. And, um, there's a moment where they're all like, it's okay. You can go. And like, almost like that, he passed. And the joy that the family had knowing that dad's suffering was gone, but also that, they were they were a, a family of believers right to know that 
what they believed were, were dad, were who dad was with now. And um, that they all got to be together and they all got to tell him that they loved him right before he passed. Right. Like, like that's hap- that's hope and that's joy. Um, but it's in a reframing. It's not, I'm not sick anymore. It's, it's reframing what, where we find joy and, and hope in, in, in our stories. Seeing you, um, it's interesting you share that story uh, because um, you hear those stories of people coming around and sort of being able to tell someone they love them and that it's going to be okay and then they pass. And sometimes like before um, kind of experiencing that myself, it's like, well, maybe that's, um, I sound horrible and very cynical, but sometimes uh, I'll be honest, the thoughts cross my mind. I mean, maybe that's kind of a coincidental thing. Um, but I've heard too many of those stories. And then uh, my dad passed just over a week ago and mm-hmm. we gathered around um, it, my it, my mom, sister, and my grandma and grandpa were there. And we gathered around and we um, told him we loved him, told him we'd be okay. And we prayed uh, mm-hmm. uh, over him. And our prayer wasn't praying over him for like, a miraculous healing it was more for um peace and yeah. in passing and then i went over to my mom's house she was just you know around the corner from my grandparents they live on the same road sure. and my grandparents it was real late my grandparents said we're gonna go lay down in, in bed we may not fall asleep but we're gonna stretch our legs out and then my sister stepped out uh, to call her husband to tell him good night um, and then he, he passed, I wasn't yeah. back at my parents' house for like 10 minutes before my mom yep. called and said he had passed. And it's just, um, it's just really interesting, you know? And so in that, in that way, there was this, like, uh, this piece yeah. in a sense, in a strange sense, but I, I talk about this with, um, this is a staff, um, it's the past in their own and, 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 and when, when it's the end, as long as it's not like a traumatic thing, um, cause that's a different category of way someone passes, but like in a, in a normal flow in a natural way, like a, we all kind of pass on our own terms that there's some people that, that, um, that somebody to say something, there are some people that are waiting somebody to leave there. Uh, sometimes people we've had people slip out of the room, you know, they've been there for, for days and they'll slip out of the room to go to the bathroom and the loved one will pass away. Um, yeah, like I really do think that finding a piece in I'm getting to be there for my loved one um, by we're all together. Like it's a very it's a very hopeful thing. I'm glad you had that experience with with your dad. We were all able to be there and you know to to say goodbye to him like that. That's a it's a beautiful thing that you get to have. Yeah, me too. What is something that people might not know about your job, about what you do? Yeah, I, I, we hit on it a little bit earlier, but I think it's the idea of I spend very little part, time in my day doing the like the chaplain thing. Um, so much of our day uh, doing a bunch of other little things. Um, and, and the idea of uh, are we ready? Uh, the, the Maslow's hierarchy. Um, I spend so much of my day doing other work than sitting with people and talking with people. 
just because of, of I, I don't know how so often people like, I just want someone to come talk with me. And so we'll walk in there and I'll chat and they're like, can you just pray for me? And that's what they're really looking for. It's just a reminder that there's somebody there with us in so little of what we do is, uh, is that big long form. I think of long form, short form, right? Like that long form, we're going to sit down, we're going to talk about God and tell our story. And, um, there's a lot of people that that's not what they're where they're where they're at emotionally. So, so people think I do that a lot. And when we like we do that from time to time, but that's that's not what a large percentage of the people need or want at that moment. Sometimes it's just a short, hey, you know, I'm I'm Dan, I'm one of the chaplains. Can I pray for you? Yeah, please do. And then call us if you need us. And okay. That that that's that for me is the biggest thing of you that people don't really think about or know about this question just kind of in the midst of what we've we've talked about i i get the sense that like sometimes this the next question we're going to ask isn't um in the moment it's sometimes not i mean i think people think it should be the most important thing in the moment but sometimes it's not always the most helpful but um see a difference in people um people who claim to have faith and people who do not uh, claim any faith, do you see a difference in how they respond or cope or process tragedy? Um, not, no, no, I don't, not really. I, I mean, I, sometimes, yes. Um, sometimes we'll see, you know, Christians who are happy that their loved ones with Jesus, right? Like they're like, I, I have that faith. I have that hope. I know I'm going to see dad. And so they're, the expression is uh, a joyous one, right? Um, but we'll also see people who are happy that their their loved one has passed because they're not suffering, even though there's no God or religious expression. Um, but they're they're happy and they're at peace that their loved one has passed away. Um, sometimes we'll see Christians crying out to God, God, no, you know, bring my bring my loved one back, throwing themselves, God, I'm not ready, God, I'm not ready. Um, but we also see that with people that don't have faith. So um, I, I think that we all come to suffering, death and dying and our beliefs about the world and the, the ways, the, the things that we bring to the world um, are how we cope with suffering. And so people who have are, are, are Christians or believers um, suffer and cope just in the same way that everybody else does. So sure, sometimes we see that, but um, I don't. I, I think we all kind of uh, humans are humans, and I think that's an important, important uh, a reality that we're all we're all coping. We're all we're all trying to figure out the world, and um, you know, so we're all we're all we're all alike at the end. We're all alike in our inner suffering. That, at least that's my experience. I've seen, I've seen, I've been with hundreds of families and that is the, it's, it's very, it's very regular in that, whether of faith and not of faith. Personal mission in what you do. We've talked a lot about uh, families and patients passing. Uh, I get to work with medical professionals 
who are people on the front lines. Um, for the first year of the pandemic, I was the chocolate fairy for the nurses. And I would grab a big old bag of Dove chocolate candy and just walk around with the staff. And here, I, I can't do a lot to stop anything else, but you know, you're loved, you're seen, you guys are doing awesome work. Um, and so the, all of the suffering has a common denominator, at least that I experienced in the hospital. And that's the, the, the medical staff, the doctors, the nurses, the techs, the therapists, the, the staff that's around, um, they're, they're there as well. And um, getting to being a, we're, I'm a part of a care team. So I have a role, but they have a role and um, see some awful things. And to make sure that the people that are there every day that are exposed to sec it's, it's secondary trauma is what there is the, the definition of what they're going through. We're, we're all going through secondary trauma. Um, but as we care for people to care for people, to care for the people that are caring for the people and to make sure that the, the nurses, the staff, the doctors, uh, my role as a hospital chaplain, I'm, I, I have some spiritual support or at least offer emotional and spiritual support to patients, families, and the staff that's caring for them. So in the hospital, just a reminder that um, when we talk about deaths and in the, in, like there's a, there's a nurse there's a doctor caring for each of these patients, often many, and to um, get to see and that we can provide care for those who are absorbing all the secondary traumas is, is, is been, has, has been something that I've, uh, as, a, as a hospital chaplain, have really thought, uh, have realized the importance of that. Yeah, just, just making those people's lives a little bit easier yep. <laughs> it just some small gesture uh -huh. um, even in, even though it's not like I'm ministering to you sharing the gospel with you direct like praying over you like it's still ministry because you're doing it in Jesus's name mm -hmm. and I just yep. think that's a, a really important kind of perspective to have like ministry isn't just you know People might people might think they get, like a, a chaplain does every day all the time, which you say you actually do uh, not so often. Um, you do ministry kind of subversively almost. It seems like you know just doing these small just acts of service uh, in the name of Christ, uh, and comfort and support to people, which is which I think you're watching people die all the time, right? And you have you have a religious figure come in and be like, I'm gonna. You know, we're going to pray for healing and the nurses are sitting there watching the, the, the monitors going, this person's dying and you've got this pastor coming in here, um, pushing this, like, we're going to do this and get out of my way. I'm going to come save the day. And they're like, but the patient's dying. What the family needs is not you to come in and give them false hope. It's to come and give them comfort. So a lot of times we have, um, religious folks that are counterproductive and if you're i i didn't witness this but my staff tells a story about we had a patient come in uh, i believe it was like a massive heart attack and 
the staff is there working on them and the, the patient has died and um, the, they're like laying hands trying to bring this person back to life. And the, the hospital staff is like, you know, eyes wide, like what in the world is happening right now? Like we're almost, uh, yeah, it doesn't fit in, in that setting. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying that it, it doesn't happen, that God can't heal. Um, but how, how do, how do I, like, that's, how, how do we subversively minister to people? And it's, it comes back to this, the, the ministry of presence. It's a, 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 a tangible physical reminder that God is with you and that God loves you and that God cares for you. And um, I'm here every day and as I'm responding to situations throughout the hospital, patient needs, patient uh, concerns, like I'm walking by the same nurses, the same techs, the same doctors. I'm standing outside of rooms while the, the staff is emergently trying to save somebody next to the same people every day. And if I'm only have eyes for patients and, and families, I'm missing the people that I have the, the longest term relationship with in the facility. So I get to love them and care for them and remind them that God loves them and get to know them and their lives. And think of myself, I move on from youth ministry to like hospital staff ministry. And so a lot of the, the, the ministry techniques that I would use to care for middle schoolers and high schoolers in schools and I get to I'm like wait a minute like I have this I have I know how to interact with um, a nameless faceless horde of of uh, people you know like I it's it's like walk it's like a youth pastor walking through a high school football game right like oh hey bro what's going on hey man and you you start to pick up stories in the same way that as a youth pastor I do the same thing with a a 12 year old uh, you know, that I met at the, cafe, the high school cafeteria. I, I do that now with the the nurse in the ICU and get to love and care them and give, show them that God loves them through the way that I care for them. So, yeah. I think, <clears throat> I think sometimes people, like Matt said, uh, a few moments ago, something like it's not just like going in and like preaching the gospel to them. And um, I think some people feel this and, and don't get me wrong. Sometimes we need to proclaim um, the the hope that can be found in Jesus' name. We do need to do that. Sure. Uh, but I think sometimes the insistence that you know you're just doing good works and and it's not really kingdom or gospel work. Um, that Matthew twenty five you referenced earlier, um, giving a glass of cold water in my name, doing doing acts of kindness in Jesus' name, is something he explicitly said. Uh, was was as if we were doing it you know, to him, for him, and and that's the sort of works, um, the sort of kingdom work that is oh. completely in align with the gospel, like giving a glass of cold water um, isn't an empty action because you didn't, uh, you know present them with Romans road and have them kneel right there and accept Jesus, sure. you know, say the sinner's prayer and sure. all that, that stuff. Um, it still is kingdom work. Um, and, and the gospel, sorry. And the gospel is that God 
that God loves you, right? Like yeah. the, the, the foundation, the bedrock piece that the gospel is built on is not that there is an angry God that we have to somehow appease, right? It's not that you have to do these good things so that God, like that's the core of roots, roots is that God's upset and that I need to do something to make God less upset. And if I don't do this thing, God's going to throw a lightning bolt at me. The core, the foundational piece of the gospel is that God loves you, that God cares for you, that God is concerned for you, that God is on your side. And so for me, to people, and often that have no God experience yet, you have, I'm, I'm around people all the time where they are not church people who have a theological understanding about anything. Um, and so for a person that's walking around with a badge that says chapel, and then everybody knows that he's a pastor, um, to tangibly expose them to the love of God through the way that that person lives is the most effective gospeling that I can do that. I love you. I care for you. And I'm going to show you that through the way that I live my life. Like that's preaching the gospel to people that God loves you. And how do you, how, how can I share that best to you? Is it by saying that God loves you or is it by loving you and caring for you and being concerned for you and being interested in who you are? Um, not um, a profession or a, um, coming coming and becoming a tithing member of a church right like i get to, i get to love people because they're in front of me and that's what i get paid to do at least that's how at least that's what i think i get paid to do my boss would probably say something different but um you mentioned a second ago too though this term secondhand trauma secondary secondary trauma, trauma, secondary mm-hmm. trauma um and just how much you're around that and so one of the things i'm curious about both like for you personally, but if there's any, any way that it could be applied to other people as well, um, how, how do you process, like, how, how do you, um, because trauma sort of seems to mark us, our psyches, our emotions, yeah. like, yeah. And, um, and the effects of that can be, can have sort of negative um uh, implications or our ways of coping with it can be negative so like how do you process and then or how would you encourage other people kind of sure yeah, i think how do you see that so uh my first exposure to like really getting zapped i think about and i think about secondary trauma as or or our role i'm i keep professional distance like this is not your trauma is not my trauma right like you're going through something i'm here to help you walk through that um so the, the, the things that I have to be looking for are, am I becoming too distant from something or am I becoming too close to something, right? Because becoming too distant be- means I'm being cynical, I'm being, um, you know, hardened, I don't feel things anymore, right? Like that's dangerous as a, as a, as a, care, a, a, a care, a professional carer, right? Like to, to walk into a situation, not feel anything. The other half of that is when I get too close. Um, so it's like electricity, right? Like if I get too close or um, I, I close the circuit or I touch the third rail or whatever, I get zapped um, and get fried. And so a lot of times we'll have, um, you'll have medical professionals who get too close and get fried. And so they become cynical and they pull back. So it's, it's constantly being in 
um, an understanding of, am I getting too close? Am I getting too far away? Um, what, what gets, what draws me too close? So it's the awareness of it's when you look at somebody's birthday and see it's your birthday, your dad's or your parents' age or your sibling. Um, one of the worst experiences for me in the hospital was um, there was a patient that came in that looked like and was the same age as one of my daughters and the patient passed away. And like it, like I couldn't talk. Like I, I remember, like I have to be in the moment for this patient's this little girl's family. Um, but I can't, I, I don't see that little girl's face. I see my little girl's face. And I just remember um, it was like two in the morning and I called my man, I woke my manager up and I was like, I just need to let you know this, that like this happened. And she was like freaked out because of how she didn't, I mean, she was like very concerned because um, of the way that I sounded. Like I was like, it's like a 12 year old boy, like my voice cracking as I was talking to her. Um, so if, I think the first thing is being aware of what, where your guardrails are, understanding what will lead you to get too close to get fried. So I think in general in life, like what are the things that are, um, what are the things that are taking away from you? What are the things that are draining you? What are the things that are like hard for you? So being aware, what are, what are, what are those things? And I also think in that, um, what do you do that brings healing and restoration to yourself? Um, I'm starting to do puzzling and to do puzzles because it's a chance for me to um, like focus on something completely, you know, just to decompress. Um, I, I cook, like I, I find like ridiculous recipes and or, you know, like, how can, how can I make, right now I'm kind of obsessed with fish and chips. And so how can I, um, how can I learn to make really good fish and chips? Um, uh, how can I find, what, what are the things that bring me joy? So that situation um, where there was uh, that, the little girl that looked like my daughter passed away. Um, I went home and uh, went to sleep, woke up, cuddled with my girls on the couch, watching Michigan football. Cause my favorite football team played that afternoon. Um, so I found things that brought me joy and I did those things and I found um, to be able to disconnect from that. I also, for us as a staff, um, we talk about uh, continuity of care, that these are not my problems. It's not my job. It's our job. And so I'm, I've replaced somebody who has handed the responsibility and the reins over to me. When, so when I'm on the shift, we had, a, we had a chaplain that would pick up a rock when they came in, would have a rock in their pocket or on their desk. And then when they left the hospital, they would take that rock and throw it back into the rock pile. I carry it while I'm here and I do my best to leave it behind when I'm gone. Um, and so people will ask me, hey, whatever happened to you know, that car accident that came in, that was super horrific. And I often will go, I don't, I don't know. I forgot about that. I, I left that behind. Um, so it's, it's, it's learning to pick up and hold things. And then it's also learning to, to leave them behind when necessary. So
those are the I things love, that I try and do. I love the, I love the perspective of um, becoming too close or too distant. Yeah. Um, because I think I've had at times become too close and I carried them and I didn't have enough distance, but I like that you pointed out that to become too distant um, can, can leave you cynical. And then in, in reality, unable to enter in, uh, in mm -hmm. an incarnational, you know, to have incarnational presence with people if you're too distant. And so there is um, this need for balance. And what I've also found in life is we want the tension to be resolved um, but balance often requires tension and, yep. uh, and, and much of life and much of living life in a healthy way is actually standing sort of in the midst of tension. Um, but that was, yeah. that was helpful for me actually, personally, just to be reminded that, um, that there's a balance and not becoming too close, but also not too distant. And, uh, Super yeah. important. I like the cooking and puzzling, uh, piece too what, what brings what brings you joy right like learning learning that um you have to find things in your life that bring you joy and if you don't know the things in your life that bring you joy then there's a good chance that you're about to get fried because you're yeah. not filling your mm. like we all have limits to what we can do some of us are are more extroverted than others and some of us are, have more like physical energy than others some of us require more sleep than others and but if you're not doing the things that you need to do, like getting sleep, eating well, finding, doing things that bring you joy, like eventually you're going to become hardened and cynical about life. And um, there's always more things that can be done in life, right? Like the, the um, I live in a house, right? And there's always a thing, something that needs to be fixed. But if I never stop and say, you know what, now it's time to rest and, you know, that'll get fixed tomorrow or it doesn't need to get fixed today. Um, I'm, I'm never going to find, uh, well, I'm going to burn out. I'm never going to find peace and balance. Um, I talk about, we I talk about rhythms and seasons. Like we need to find a healthy rhythm to live in. Now you can break that rhythm for a season and a season has a beginning and an end. Um, and so if you're, if, if you're, if your season becomes your, if an unhealthy season, which we all walk through things where we all, if you go to college, right? Like that exam cram time, right? Like where you're getting like three hours of sleep because you're trying to get everything figured out and you're studying, like you can't do that. Um, and so a lot of times we'll see college kids when they come home from college or they finish their semester, they spend the next two weeks just sleeping, right? To restore their balance and to get back into rhythm. Um, and I think just the same thing with all of us, right? Like if we're not finding healthy rhythms, if we're, if we have seasons that we don't put an end to, we don't, you know, you can do anything for a short period of time. You can walk down any path for a short period of time. It's, uh, when you, that path becomes, when that short period of time becomes like, um, unending, that's when you become unhealthy and cynical and burnt out and you, and you stop being able to find joy and hope and, um, in life yeah so uh, i guess our the, the last question it's, it's a yes or no question but obviously uh <laughs> um you don't have to to keep it to a yes or no but um when you think about your views your outlook on life uh, death 
your relationship with God, God's relationship with the world, like has doing what you do now changed um, your views on those things? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I mean, it can't, it can't not, like if you're, if you're engaging, um, it can't not change you. And I think for me, it's uh, life is precious. We're all going to die. Um, so far that, you know, outside of Jesus, we've all maybe Enoch or I don't know, like there's that guy in the Old Testament. We all die. And um, coming to terms with that is important. But also that means that every moment we have here is precious because we're finite. And the uh, not treating life as precious is a problem. Um, and so each moment that I have is a moment to cherish, not a moment to waste. Mm. I've, I've been with, um, I like to keep, I like to keep track of things because it's helpful for me to understand what I'm walking through. Um, I've been with in a little under three years, over 500 families. Like that's helpful for me to be able to just, that's why I'm tired. We keep track of monthly totals. And some months you're like, oh man, that's why I'm tired. Um, and, but that means that there are so many families that are, that have lost their loved ones. And life is precious. So I think for me on life, um, uh, on death, I, I've become more accepting, accepting of death. Um, it's going to happen. Um, I, I don't want to live. Uh, I think we live in denial about that death is going to happen, right? Like I'm not going to die. I'm, I'm in my twenties. I'm in my thirties. And, um, I, 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 it's not that I want death to happen to me, but I, it's a part of life and it will happen to me. Um, which goes back to, well, then treat life as precious. Um, yeah, it's going to happen. And so that, that marks and that changes the way that I hold my, my views on death. If it's going to happen, then, then I can be accepting of it and okay with it. Um, and then I think our view, the view on God comes back to if death is going to happen, maybe I need to reshape my view of this God who's a superhero coming to save the day. Um, which, which in a lot of ways is grounded in a consumeristic view of, of God, right? Like that God is this thing that will make my life better. Like right? we've been, you know, buy this cleaner and all of a sudden your house will be clean. You know, we, we, we subscribe to this view and all of a sudden everything will be better. And so we do the same thing with God, right? That if I believe in God, then all of my problems will go away and I won't die. I'll live forever. I can, um, so we treat God like a product um, or a superhero, something that's going to make everything better, but um, it's just not how it works and how life works. And so maybe God is uh, the view of God of, of a superhero of uh, making my life better, as opposed to the God that loves me, supports me, cares for me, that I can find meaning and purpose in life through that I get to, um, the God that's calling us to see the world in a new way. Um, 
It's calling us to bring healing and redemption to the, the hard stuff around us. Um, the God that calls us to stand with those who are sick and hurting. Um, maybe that's a, a God that more aligns with the world that I see and that I live in. So, yeah, I think those are the ways that I've, that uh, life, death, and God have been reshaped through what I do. Yeah, I especially appreciate the, the perspective. Like, is it more is it more comforting to have a God that's like, you just he just you know comes in to save the day when there's trouble, or is it more comforting to have a God who walks with you through trial sure. and pain? Sure. I, I don't. <laughs> I don't. I think it's way more comforting to, to, to know that God is with me all the time. And he's not just interested in intervening whenever, you know, he wants to show himself, like, you know, even if it means that it it doesn't always get miraculously better. I I still know that, you know, God is with me in that time. So therefore that time is holy. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, it's also, there will be a time where God is not going to intervene. Yeah right? Um, Whether you're 97 or 79 or 37, whatever, right? Like you're going to die. And if your view of, of God is that God is going to take care of all of your problems, eventually there's going to be a problem that God doesn't take care of Mm -hmm. um, for you. And then, so when, when I die, does that mean that God has failed? Does that mean that like, you know, like, and so we've set up a lot of, in the church, we set up a lot of people to have real issues with God because we all die. We all go through suffering. We all go through pain. And if it's God's job to make that go away, then what happens when pain and suffering hits us that God doesn't make go away? Is God failing? Is God mad at me? Is God upset? Like, do I need to do better things? Like, am I not a good enough person? You know, like all these, it's just, it's this cycle of like, well, God must be angry because it's happening to me. Yeah. Which isn't, uh, which isn't a healthy way to see God um, and does a lot of damage to people who are trying to walk through things and, and questioning, like, like looking at themselves for what they've done. It, it, it actually ends up betraying the whole gospel of grace, like, and of God's love and the God who enters in. And uh, I love, um, I love uh, this quote, uh, by N.T. Wright. Jesus doesn't give an explanation for the pain and sorrow of the world. He comes where the pain is most acute and takes it upon himself. Jesus doesn't explain why there is suffering, illness, and death in the world. He brings healing and hope. He doesn't allow the problem of evil to be the subject of a seminar. He allows evil to do its worst to him. He exhausts it, drains it of its power, and emerges with new life. Um, There is, you know, resurrection, hope, and new life um but but it doesn't it doesn't um it doesn't often circumnavigate the cross like sometimes the cross is part of on this side of heaven the cross is part of the process um and and what we want sometimes is to skip the cross uh or or we want god to be that superhero or that genie but actually the way god was a hero was he actually took it upon himself he didn't avoid it um well i think we're we're about at time and we're going to wrap up, but I also, uh, we, we like to give, um, guests an opportunity to share, uh, anything they want to about, you know, where people can find you, 
um, on on social media, if you have a blog or podcast or uh, anything, um, if people wanted to to connect with you, um, if you wanted sure. people to connect with you, um, where where could they find uh, Dan or or what things would you want to share about that? Yeah. So I have a blog that I very irregularly update. It's the legend of Dan Bellinger at blogspot or WordPress. It hasn't been blogspot for a long time. The legend of Dan Bellinger at wordpress.com. I try and post regularly. Um, it comes in spurts and go. And um, yeah, every now and then I'll post things that I reflect on, um, whether sports or um, theology or um, top 10 lists or whatever. I try and I try and put stuff on there. So if you're interested in following me, I, I post stuff there. Um, yeah. Thankful. I get to, got to spend some time with you guys chatting and yeah, it's been a great, it's been a great time. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for coming on. We really, yeah, thank you. This was a, you know, a heavy conversation, but I, I really enjoyed it. Um, sure important conversation to have so yeah well appreciate you guys having me on yeah yeah well thank you for uh joining theologizing life uh as i have shared before like rate our post on apple podcast share it on your social media platforms share it in text uh, if you found this helpful or encouraging um all of that helps expand our listener base and get get the message out there or if you found this to not be helpful or insightful or encouraging at all i suppose you don't have to share it um or share it and say how unhelpful it is and then people yeah yeah anyway so it's like a win for us and a win for you you know yeah sure um (laughs) and you know go ahead and post your negative review yeah um actually please i mean please don't don't do that but (laughs) there's there's better things you could do with your time but anyways thanks for joining (laughs) theologizing life until next time Nailed that outro. Good job.